Finally got a chance to take a good long look at D. Wayne McBride. Let me tell you, I did not mind what I saw. Let me talk to you about where he fits in the Vikings offense on the Locked on Vikings podcast. You like that on three, one, two, three. You, like it! you are Locked on Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find this show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it is an audio platform, Spotify, Google, whatever, uh, or you can listen to it or watch it on YouTube, uh, as well as the Locked On Minnesota Sports app on Amazon Fire or Roku, if you can download those. Today on the show... It's going to be a D-Wayne McBride day. I did not have a lot to say about him when the Vikings first drafted him. I was not particularly familiar. I wanted to really take the time and uh, finally got around to, to getting some UAB tape. So I was actually able to watch him down a little bit. I'm not 100% done, but I've seen enough, I think, to understand the basics of his game. Uh, more in-depth Patreon video almost certainly will, will come because I find him pretty interesting. Uh, but I like what I see. The, the real operative question of this. And I wanted to take it more of a practical direction than do I, or do I not like the pick? I, I like the pick. I, I think he's great for a seventh rounder. I, th- I think he definitely, I, everybody kind of thought he should have been a mid round guy. And I super agree with that. Um, probably more like a fourth round, fifth round guy for me. Uh, that means excellent value. Love the pick. Um, but the question is, how does this all fit together? Assuming Dalvin cook is not a Viking, which is what all the reporting is right now. Obviously never say never. Everything's possible. Uh, but doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. So Madison Chandler, Wongu, uh, DUA McBride, CJ ham. How does this group of people fit together? Obviously ham has his role, but that's going to be the question we're sort of working toward that we'll get to at the end of the episode. Um, but before we can, we just have to sort of define what Dwayne McBride is. And I'll kind of tell you the things that I've noticed about his game. So I guess the place to start would be with like elusiveness. You're, you'll see it in his production a lot. When you look at his college production, there's a lot of missed tackles forced, no matter kind of who's tracking it. He does it a lot. He makes you miss tackles, which is a really great trait to have. Um, and that's sort of the point of Dwayne McBride is, is that he will make you miss a tackle. And the way he's, that he does that, he's got a few different tricks up his sleeve that I think are really good for one. Um, some running backs, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this if this is the kind of running, like Madison's this kind of running back. It works. They won't really try to make you miss the tackle. They'll just bowl into you, and that's just who they are, right? You're just kind of a thumper. You're a fall forward, get two extra yards kind of guy, and that's valid. Um, Dwayne McBride can do that, but he is a, a lot more interested, I think, in ruining your your angle and just kind of, you know, if a defender can come in and get right on your hips and really get the the tackle angle that he wants, he will just make more tackles than if you just, I mean, you don't have to juke him out of his shoes, but you just adjust your, your, your body a little bit, you know, just lean a little bit further away from him or into him or something, make the, the tackling angle just a little harder. And then you'll, you'll force misses. And he forces like a lot of misses. Like when he gets tackled by the first guy, it's like, it feels like an abnormal rep. It's really consistent and it's awesome. Um, Typically, when he is running zone, which there's some zone, there's some power or whatever, but 
when he's running zone, um, usually when you run zone, what you teach a running back is to a, you're aiming at the three technique most of the time. Um, or you're aiming at like the defensive tackle on the play side, I guess, uh, whether that's a three or a two or whatever. But you're you're kind of aiming if you're running from the left to the right, you're aiming at kind of like the right guard, basically. Uh, and he kind of like taps that right guard on the behind, you know, not literally, but that's you can tell that's the coaching point is, you know, really get up and and be able to kind of give that guy a love tap before you uh, cut back to give yourself time to read and stuff. And it's something you would tell a younger running back that doesn't really know as much about what he's seeing. But you can kind of tell that McBride is further along than that. Um and what it ends up making happen, and this is the other reason he kind of can force missed tackles, is it makes him really force linebackers to overcommit. Because a linebacker, uh, like a Mike linebacker, will watch the running back, and he'll he'll sort of follow that running back's helmet and just kind of, you know, if he goes left, I go left. If he goes right, I go right. Um, and that allows McBride to kind of take those linebackers so far out of position that it helps the guards go get them. And then once you cut back, they can't follow you because there's a guard in the way. Um, it's a really good way to buy his O-line time. And his O-line needs that. <laughs> Here's the thing about watching this UAB tape. His offensive line is a disaster and a half. I mean, you thought it looked bad watching some of these Vikings teams from the last like half decade or so. Oh, baby, this UAB line has some struggles. And McBride does a lot of making up for it, um, which probably stunts his production a little bit too much. It certainly stunts his receiving production. I know he's like pretty productive at UAB, um, but not as dominant production wise as you would hope for like Conference USA. But like, man, is he overcoming some idiots. <laughs> I don't want to be too mean to those those alignment, but those guys are they mess up a lot and they get swum a lot and you get penetration into the backfield a lot. And so it's on McBride to to make those guys miss. There are a couple of instances in particular. There's a 2021 game against Georgia where I mean, he's contending with like Jalen Carter and no, like guys that win the first round. There's a couple guys in, in uh, against LSU that he played this year that probably will go in the first round when they're uh, when they're up for the draft. Um, and so it's like, there's, there's not really a, a lack of reps against strong competition. When you see that, you can really see a better example of how he's going to work in the NFL. There is actually a great rep against Georgia from 2021 uh, where Jalen Carter gets into the backfield as he does. Uh, and it's just him versus McBride and McBride actually manages. He's really good at this. Uh, to make his hips skinny and then get by him. So what I mean by that is um, you kind of want to take the target away from the defender. If you're Jalen Carter and you got into the backfield, now you're just trying to make the tackle, what you're going to do is you're going to aim at the running back's hips. You're going to try to wrap and then hang on for dear life, and then you're bigger than the guy. He should come down. Um, so the aiming point is is your hips, right? Now, if my hips are square at you, that's a bigger target than if I turn them 90 degrees. Um, if I can just kind of, if I can keep my momentum going forward while keeping my hips turned, uh, you know, perpendicular to, to that, then I, I can make that a smaller target and make it more difficult of a tackle ends up breaking the tackle and actually getting back to the line of scrimmage, breaking a Jalen Carter tackle as a, you know, 
I think sophomore at UAB. That's insane. <laughs> so that missed tackle ability is really exciting. Um, and I think that's what ultimately gets him drafted. But you might be asking, okay, why did he fall all the way to the seventh round? And the answer is receiving. He just did not catch the ball. He caught it like five times. And the only one I actually found, the only one in a game that I watched so far was like a check down, kind of really routine looking thing that you can't really pull a lot of traits from. He almost never ran true routes. Like he, there, there was very little... Uh, you know, running out and running angle route or like a little button hook or anything like there's no screens. They just didn't have him do that stuff. Um, and, and I the reason why actually kind of turns into something super sick that I'm kind of excited about. Uh, and, and I'll get to that. But before I do so, let me tell you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. It has been so clutch for me. It is built bar. Uh, I've been trying to be a little bit more serious about my health and, and taking care of myself a little bit. And Built Bar has been awesome because I have late night cravings that I am weak to, and Built Bar can kind of satisfy those cravings without throwing off my whole day. Only 130 calories in one of those bad boys, 17 grams of protein, but just four grams of sugar, but it tastes like a candy bar. It's covered in 100% chocolate, comes in absolutely horrifyingly sweet flavors uh, like cookie dough chunk puff and cookies and cream and chocolate caramel and, and chocolate uh, cherry, chocolate orange, if you're into that, um, all kinds of completely crazy stuff and some specialty flavors at built.com as well. So to go to built.com, you can order a box, get it delivered directly to your door. If you don't want to wait, however, you can go to Sam's club or Walmart and you can pick one up right there. Once again, that is built.com. You can thank me later. Thanks so much for making locked on Vikings. Your first listen of the day, uh, for your second listen or watch, I guess, check out the history doc. It's a great time. It's May. There's nothing going on. There's no news or anything. You can go to patreon.com slash Luke Brown NFL. It's all free to watch. Uh, just scroll down and find the history of the Minnesota Vikings. And that page it's like uploaded in verse order. So scroll all the way down. You can watch from the prologue. It's seven hours of Minnesota Vikings history content. It's like a season of TV, basically seven episodes, one hour each on average. Uh, go check that out, but let's keep talking about, uh, do McBride. So the elephant in the room, I guess, is that he didn't get involved in the pass game at all. So you go, okay, what did he do? What is the point of him on passing downs? Because if you can't go on the field on passing downs, you kind of just can't be on a team. You have to be able, you can't just be only run downs unless you're going to be like a super goal line back specialist. But honestly, there's not really a place on the 53 for that. Um, you have to be able to do rundowns and pass downs. So what does Dwayne McBride do on pass downs? And oh boy, was I stoked to find the answer to that question. That dude can pass block. It is awesome to watch him pass block. Um, when, when you're running back in protection, a lot of times the, uh, the, it depends on the protection, but to, when you're in play action plays and you're just kind of following what normally the run action would be. So you're just running a direction, right? And then you just kind of become a sort of a backside protector, right? If if the um, the the run play is supposed to look like a, a zone run, for example, you have the whole line going one way and then the running back takes it and is kind of going against the, the offensive line like it's a, a counter play or something like that. Um a lot of times there'll be an unchained defender that the running back is responsible for, and he can just go pop that guy. There are so many examples of him doing exactly that, where he 
the the protection slides one way. The running back kind of takes the ball and runs the other way. And that puts D. Wayne McBride on an edge rusher. And like there's one time that edge rusher was Nolan Smith. That dude went in the first round of the Eagles and he put the dude on his knees. Another one against uh, what's his name? Harold Perkins Jr. is a freshman uh, who is at LSU that um, is supposed to be like a 2025 first round pick. So still kind of young. Uh, both those guys a little bit smaller for edge rushers. They're a little bit more of, um, you know, finesse guys. He, there's a, a, a rep against Western Kentucky where he goes up against a D tackle, gets blown up. But it's like, OK, at that point, the size mismatches. You just don't want a running back on a D tackle. You'll never make expect your running back to make that play. But blowing up these like good edge rushers is really impressive. Uh, and further, he sees the protection the way he's supposed to see it. In a lot of protection situations, when it's not a play-action fake, the running back's job is most dangerous man, a.k.a. figure out where something broke and go fix it. Um, so you have to kind of scan the entire front. Who's a blitzer? Who got past a lineman? What's the problem here? You have to be aware of the entire field, and you can always find it. There's very few examples, or I, I didn't even find an example. I'm sure there's some somewhere in his tape because it happens eventually to everybody. But, you know, you, you don't see him getting lost, running away. His quarterback gets killed. So he knows where to go, and he is really willing to throw his whole body into it. And it's a really good collision that he can make, and that usually is all it takes. You know, you don't need to lock the guy up in, you know, and put him in a chokehold like it's like you're an offensive tackle, right? You just need to kind of blow him up, slow him down. Uh, so that was really what he did at UAB and their offense had a lot of play action and a lot of RPOs, which meant most of the time, if it was a passing play, the running backs job on that passing play was going to be, uh, play action, right? Uh, or an option of an actual run. But if it was a passing play and you pulled it, now you basically just become the same thing as a play action fake. You're not going to run a lot of routes out of that. Now, when it wasn't a play-action fake, he was usually just in the protection. Sometimes he'd leak out and be a check down, but it was pretty rare relatively. So the question is not, can he catch the ball? I'm sure he can catch it fine. When he was thrown at the few times he he did uh, get thrown at, he caught it fine, like whatever. Um, it's too small a sample to really have any like takeaways, but it's more, can he run a route? Because UAB just never had him do it, which probably means UAB never taught him how to do it. Uh, and that becomes the concern. The other major concern is a fumble issue. Uh, he had like the, the, the meme of his career is that he had more fumbles than receptions, which, all right, yeah, that'll knock you down. Like if you, if you weren't a dynamic part of the passing game, at least not in the box score, but I do think he was a vital part of UAB's passing game, which was not good. <laughs> It's UAB. Uh, the, again, the O-line wasn't good. The quarterback was, you know, had a bunch of issues. Like, there's all kinds of problems with the UAB passing game. None of them were really uh, McBride's fault. Um, but, you know, when you're not a part of that receiving progression ever, and you have a fumbles issue, those two things are probably enough to knock you pretty far down the draft board. So him going in the seventh, I totally get even though I think I'm more excited about him than that implies, if that tracks, if that makes sense to you. So then that brings up the question, where does Dwayne McBride fit? How does that skill set meld with Madison's and Ty Chandler's? And I, I think understanding those three backs and assuming Kenny Wong was kind of more of just a special teamer, uh, maybe he gets in as like a fast back. 
But those four guys, how they fit together, I think I get it. I think I understand what the different roles will be. It won't be rigid, hard, fast rules, but, you know, one guy does a little more of this, one guy does, does a little more of that. So let me try to get that going. If you are a dynasty fantasy player, this one's going to be for you a little bit as well. If you, And you're trying to, you know, make sense of the, the Vikings... Uh, running back committee and who sh- who should I take, you know, with my fifth round pick in this rookie draft, should I take McBride or whatever? This is going to be kind of for you as well. Uh, I'll, tr- I'll try to t- tilt it toward that because I think fantasy players really want to know what's going on with the Vikings if they get rid of Dalvin Cook because this is going to be the kind of the time where you go, should I like put in an offer for Alexander Madison? Should I try to like swing for him and, and trade for him? That's going to be the question. So we'll get into that, I guess, sort of by uh, by association as well. Okay, so before we move on to the running back committee stuff, there's one thing in my notes I forgot to mention about D. Wayne McBride that's like really important and very central to his game. I just forgot about it. Uh, Contact balance, balance through contact. When you do get a good tackle through his hips, he's really good at keeping his feet moving. That's what you want to see running backs to do. That's what you're going to teach running backs to do is keep their feet kind of churning through that and you know, hopefully, eventually the defender slides off. Really, really good at that leads to more missed tackles. Um, okay, so the committee breakdown, I guess. I, guessing at percentages, I'd probably just be guessing, so I'm not going to waste your time with a guess. Uh, but here is the way I see it breaking down role-wise. I think Alexander Madison is going to be the main guy. I think he's the guy that comes out, like, starts games and stuff, right? He'll be the primary running back. But it's not going to be a I don't think it's going to be a bell cow situation like with Dalvin Cook, where it was Dalvin Cook every drive. And then sometimes you'd have a Madison drive as like relief. Right. Or if he was getting hurt or whatever. Uh, But no, I think this is going to be a little bit more like he'll he'll do he'll, he'll be the one getting the most carries every week, but he won't necessarily be the only running. He won't like you wouldn't call him the running back. He's one of the running backs and it'll be more of a committee situation. Right. Madison's skill set, again, is as a thumper. Um, I think he's gotten a lot better at taking what's in front of him and being sort of a a high floor running back, which I think is where Madison's game was always headed. I think that's the best version of Alexander Madison is somebody who can kind of always get to the line of scrimmage, avoid major negative plays, keep you on schedule. Uh, and that is going to make him somebody that, you know, you're you're comfortable giving the ball to like half the time or whatever uh he has i mean there's the hurdling thing that's really cool he's got the ability to you know bump into somebody fall forward make sure you have that like technically successful play like an analytics friendly running back if if that is even a thing (laughs) um you know somebody that can avoid those those horribly negative plays i think from an analytics perspective the benefit to running the ball has to be that run plays have a higher floor, right? And that's not universally true. If you have a running back that's a bozo that tries to bounce the running back all or bounce the run outside all the time, but can't cash that and ends up taking four yard losses, running plays don't have the floor that they're supposed to have. And so then it kind of undermines the run game as a whole. And then that effect can trickle out to the rest of the offense. But with Madison, that that level of greed, I think he's worked past. He's not trying to be, you know, just another Dalvin Cook, which I, I felt like he was in the, the Zimmer years, especially. It felt like they were trying to get him to be another Dalvin. But no, like Alexander Madison, just be Alexander Madison, right? And bump into people. And I think that's kind of him realizing the best version of himself, which is awesome. Um, the 
next guy, I guess I should talk about Ty Chandler as well. Um, he, he, I have to like refamiliarize myself with him. I'm a little bit fuzzy on, on him from last year's draft process. But if I remember the point of him was pass pro and as a third down back. So like when you think about a committee, it's some teams will do a committee where it's like one back on every drive is like, this is a Madison drive. This is a Chandler drive. This is a McBride drive. You know, this is a, like, that's the way, like, that's kind of the way the Vikings did it with Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, right? Like, most of the drives were Dalvin Cook drives, but then when Madison came out, it wasn't just one play. It was like, this entire drive is an Alexander Madison drive, and we're giving Dalvin Cook a breather for this one. Um, that's the way the Patriots do it. And there's a lot of teams that do it that way. And then I think there's ways to do a committee where it's a little bit more about specialization, and it's about what is your role. On first and 10, that's a Madison play. On third and 15, that might be more of a Ty Chandler play um, because Ty Chandler is a pretty nifty guy, pretty nifty running back. And I think the idea of like a catch and run play, which is a really common third and long play, but it's like third and 15, right? It's sort of your give up play where you throw it underneath and, you know, have three blockers in front and maybe you can make something silly happen. But really, it's a field position for a punt because this is third and 15. We're not going to throw a bomb out there and just get it picked and maybe have a run back and have worse field position, right? We're not delusional about it. Um, those catch and run plays require a fairly shifty back to have like any chance of going. And I think Ty Chandler can do that. But mostly Ty Chandler is also very, very good at pass pro. Um, I think we've got two young backs here that are really, really good at pass pro and McBride and Chandler. That feels like it's an emphasis among running backs. Uh, and, and I agree with that a lot. Running backs in pass pro can be a really sneaky, detrimental weakness if you don't really uh, take it seriously. But so th he feels like the third and long kind of back. Wang Wu is a change of pace guy, maybe. But again, he didn't really get in. Now, here's what I'll say about him. Ty Chandler was on the team and Wong got snaps before Ty Chandler got snaps. He was ahead of Ty Chandler on the depth chart last year. So I would assume he starts out on the depth chart ahead of Ty Chandler. And I think the team just sort of expects Ty Chandler to win that battle. And I'm just going to kind of go with them on that. Just the way that they've been talking. That's the sense that I get. So I, I, I'm reading the tea leaves big time and it'll be down to a camp battle here. Um, this is certainly not a made decision. So, but if I had to predict a winner of that battle, I guess I would give it to Ty Chandler, just the way the Vikings have been talking to it. But it's a big, giant, educated guess. Um, if Wang Wu is part of the running back rotation, it's definitely as a change of pace back because I think he's the fastest guy in the room. Um, so that could be something where you're. This is a Wang Wu series, and where we're going to do some inside zone, some mid zone stuff with Alexander Madison. We'll run some power. Um, I believe that's something that they're going to that that they that I'm guessing they're going to do a little bit more, a little bit more power counter stuff with two tight ends. Um, that might be more Madison's game. And then you go, all right, we're going to go outside zone. We're going to let Wong Wu get to the edge and just use that speedy guy. But maybe he just makes the team as a kickoff returner. And that's also valid. And that leaves McBride. What is McBride's role? This is the thing we've been building through the whole episode. And I think his role is best the way UAB used him as a play action running back. And when you're a play action running back, that also means you have to take the ball on the plays that the play action fakes, right? If you have a play action that is set up to look like outside zone, you got to run some outside zone with Dwayne McBride, which is a great idea. Uh, so that, you know, 
you, you can't see, you see Ty Chandler trot out there. You go, okay, this is definitely a pass play, right? Not that Ty Chandler is useless in the running game or anything like that. And again, this is not hard and fast. You might have a first and 10 with Wong Wu out there. You might have a first and 10 with McBride out there. Who's, you know, you're setting up for a play action. But I think the, the main use of McBride that makes the most sense to me is as let's set him up with whatever we want to fake in play action. Let's give him those zone reps or those power reps or whatever it is we want our play action plays to look like and then run the play action plays from there. They're longer developing. He can block that helps us. He can run those plays well enough and, you know, read those plays well enough. So that helps, you know, we, we can give him an aiming point and go and he's disciplined about that. I guess I could use a little bit more patience on him, but that's a, a conversation for like Patreon. I want to show you what I mean with that. Um, but that feels like the roles to me. So you have your kind of your, your thunder in Madison, your lightning in Wangwu. You've got sort of a specialized third down back in Chandler. And then you have probably some package plays of McBride with, uh, you know, some play action stuff. And you can even get some shot plays out of that as well. Um, again, I want to emphasize not hard and fast. Every one of those running backs can probably do some of every one of those jobs. And it's just a matter of which guy you have doing more things. You're, you're pulling levers. We're talking about, you know, 70, 30 splits, not 100 and zero splits. And I want to make sure that that's clear as well. But that's the way I think I find this running game breaking down. So from a fantasy angle, if we're going to go that direction, Madison is going to be the main guy, but I wouldn't Call him like a fantasy RB1 by any stretch of the imagination. He's probably like a flex, more like. I don't know if any of the other guys are going to have starter potential. They're going to be more like stashes that you hope kind of take over uh, in the event that Madison gets hurt or in the event like maybe a handcuff to Madison or somebody if it's like a dynasty league and you're just kind of holding on to one of these guys hoping that they break out. And I think Chandler and McBride have the best chance to break out. Wong Wu seems to be for whatever reason, struggling to find his role from scrimmage. With Dalvin Cook out of the way, this is the best opportunity he has had, though. So here's what I'll say. If you're a Dynasty Fantasy Manager, you have any of these guys on your roster. I would say don't sell, but don't buy. Um, with any of these guys, if you have Madison on your roster, he's probably somebody that can be like a decent depth piece for you or kind of a, a rotational week-to-week -week starter. Um a spot starter, not like a streamer. Yeah, probably not a streamer, but like a spot starter, like a somebody that, you know, you're thinking about every week, whether you start or sit. Everybody else probably shouldn't be an every down starter, an everyday starter for you. But if you've got Ty Chandler because you drafted him in your rookie draft last year, I wouldn't sell. I would definitely hold on and wait and see how that plays out. Because uh, there is absolutely the the chance that one of these guys, any one of these three guys, Wong Wu Chandler, McBride, just sits there and has the game of their life. Uh, you know, has a crazy breakout game, just totally figures something out and gets hot and becomes the hot hand. And you're going to want access to that guy when he happens. So definitely, I wouldn't sell unless you're getting a really good compensation for it, but I wouldn't buy. Um, I wouldn't be the one going out and saying, hey, let me trade for Ty Chandler. I because I don't think the odds of it working out are big enough. So that's, that's there's fantasy advice from a horrible fantasy player, but I know the Vikings, so that, at least there's that. Um, and then I guess I should mention CJ Ham, uh, who is great. He's a fullback, and we love him, and that's all that there is to that. Go CJ Ham. Everybody loves CJ Ham. <laughs> 
next week on the show probably gonna get back into some story time stuff some everyman series uh we'll we'll get back into the human interest stuff i've got a, a couple or one more interview with a locked on college host that i want to get to um we'll talk about some of the undrafted guys and all that but yeah we'll just get going with all of the uh schedule stuff we're still kind of on dalvin cook watch we'll see how all that plays out uh we'll get to it when we get to it i'll see y'all then and as always skull <laughs>